Now, the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. Greetings and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is April 15th. Andy, how we doing? Brendan, I'm doing good. Just uh, excited to do something a little different today. A little different. These are, as we've preached, this, you know, it's an odd time. It's a, not a pleasant time, but we're seizing on the opportunities that this time is provided. And, and this, today's show, uh, this episode will be one of them. It's an evergreen type a new format for us, and should we disclose what it'll be? Yeah, we might as well. So Our, we're going to be uh, doing a little pod that's meant to accompany a old tournament. So this will be the 06 U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and what we're going to do is try and add some commentary and, and make you really feel like you are back in 2006 and get you ready to watch and uh, relive the U.S. Open final round from 06, which is going to go up on YouTube and uh, the USGA streaming app today. Yeah, there are um, Thursday. Is it Thursday? No, it's Wednesday. Wednesday. I'm glad. We, it's you know appropriate that we would have our schedules, the, the pertinent information mixed up. But, you know, I think this is one, when we were discussing that this is an, a past major championship that is uh has a lot of elements that are of the S shotgun start oeuvre or adjacent to it. You know, there's some a lot of lot of thick boys, <laughs> there's some collapses, there's Johnny just Great throwing outfits. <laughs> outfits. Johnny's throwing 101 on the radar gun, just like you know, throwing that twelve to six curveball. He's got it all working. Just a really you know, I think we mostly remember it just for Phil, the eighteenth hole. But the video and the video they're releasing, which I would encourage you to watch, we watched it in preparation for this. It's like a compact two hours, right? It's not something that's going to suck up your whole afternoon, even though allegedly we all have all this time now, which I think is just a myth. But, you know, it's a, it's a compact quality reliving of an era that like we are still familiar with in some way. But but I think it does feel certainly it felt of a certain different certain a different time and place to me even though i was you know already out of college by a year it, it was like a cool reliving of a, a tournament you remember but you know not uh not exactly in the way you you know it's been reduced to just that fill shot in the fill 18th so. and it, you know hopefully we're going to be watching golf at Wingfoot in september when the that's, U.S. Open's played then, hopefully, you know, all things go well. We're going to go see, and that's one of the cool things, is going back and looking at the last Open played at one of the best U.S. Open venues uh, in Wingfoot West. So it was a, it was a, the, you know, a massacre. It was not an easy, it was a, it was a brutal test that week. And, and it's going to, it's, it's a fun watch. Like Brendan said, it's not like your six hour variety. Yep. 
where you're yep. picking up the coverage right from the start. The coverage picks up on the 11th hole, so you get to see basically all of the action coming in down the stretch with all of the guys in the mix, and it was a really great leaderboard. I mean, we were talking about it before we did this, about how great the guys are, and we're going to talk about you know all the different players in the mix and where they had been, but this is a fun, fun listen. So I think we... Uh, the the app, the airing will be available on that USGA app, which you can use, which is great because you can download it on your Apple TV, your Roku, or your Amazon Fire Stick, and you can play it through that on your big screen, or you can use YouTube if you're a YouTube guy. Fire Stick. I think that's what they call Xander's driver. <laughs> Dad joke there. Get us going. Um, <laughs> um, what a terrible joke. All right. Uh, so again, I think it's compact. I, a lot of these feel onerous, but I think you can get through it and it's the perfect kind of, uh, appropriate sized meal to make you familiar with what happened in some of these personalities of that, that kind of mid to mid aughts. It's pretty fun. I, I enjoyed it. I did not feel onerous at all and got through it and it was like the perfect amount. All right. Should we go? Should we kick it off? This Let's is going to be. It. It's going to be a little. Di- it's not going to be just commentary. There's going to be a mixture of clips in this, and uh, we're going to start off with a uh, little Jeff Ogilvy clip about how the, what what he thinks of and what the identity of the U.S. Open is. Battle of attrition. It's just every shot is the. Every hole is, the hardest hole at your home club, set up as hard as it can, and you do that seventy-two holes in t- holes in a row. Like, it's just, there's never a let up. I, you know, watching this, uh, you could just kind of feel the pain watching it, you know, 14 years later. You can kind of feel, I, I don't know, I just got a tangible sort of grind about it. You know, it looks hot. It looks sweaty. I think it was, there was a little breeze, but... um it just looks like a like a real freaking grind. Every shot, every hole is a, is a potential ass kicking. And uh, you know, it was the ball was flying. It was pretty firm because they kept talking about how it was running through fairways they didn't expect to run. Uh, it was just it's a brute. I, I don't. It's it's of a variety though that you don't feel like a lot of guys are hollering about it being necessarily unfair. It's just kind of the way it is. And, and you know, you're going to get it, Like you, Ogilvy puts it so well there. It's like the hardest hole at your home course, set up the toughest possible way for 72 straight. I think the other thing with uh Wingfoot, and especially you see it in this telecast is, is the way Wingfoot West kind of builds through the round. The, yep. the holes you can get are early in the round. Yep. And then yep. coming down the stretch, you're just, it's just, it gets harder and harder. And, and Johnny talks about that in the uh, telecast is like after the 11th hole, it, it just gets harder every hole, you know? Right. Like you get you, 11 and 12 are really your last two chances at, at good birdie, good birdie opportunities. And then from there, it is, it's got to be the hardest closing stretch in all of golf. And they, they flash a graphic in this uh, telecast where, they had the difficulty of the last six holes and, and yep. the last six holes, all of them ranked within the, the eight most difficult on the golf course. <laughs> it's kind of incredible. And I would, I mean, check me on this, like Wingfoot, it's hard all the way through amazing greens, 
Like the front nine is more of like the flatter land, right? Mm-hmm. Is that wrong? And then like the back nine is where you can kind of really get some of those une- hanging lies, uneven lies. All the greens are great, but there's a little more uh, kind of sloping terrain to the back. Yeah, it's all in that back corner. They they share yep. the uh, right across the street in that back corner is Quaker Ridge, which is another Tillinghast course. And that course is just like the best land on that property at Wingfoot is down on 15. And yep. that's like what Quaker is all the way around. But Wingfoot's yep. green, Wingfoot's greens are just insane. And I think that's if you're out of position, you're and we'll see it in this telecast is like you're out of position. It's hard to make a five sometimes a bogey uh, if you're in the wrong spot. And and we saw a lot of guys struggle because you can't keep balls on greens just chipping. And it's really one of those golf courses that. It just beats you up as soon as you hit a bad shot. It's you know it's going to be almost impossible to make par. I found myself getting really into that. Like I think sometimes that can be a boring brand of golf. I did not get that from this rewatching at all. You know, at all. It was just um, guys trying to hang. It was like watching a guy hang on for dear life on like in in the movie where they're hanging from a cliff or you know right whether right. it's Arnold Schwarzenegger hanging from like a. A crane right. or something. What was that? True lies that he was doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a big different uh, transition from the dartboard yeah. stuff. We often lament. I mean, it is a, and I think Ogilvy. We may hear him talk about this, but just these guys are the absolute best in the world at what they do, and they're used to making birdies and eagles and birdies and bunches and no bogeys. And I think like adjusting your thinking even though you know it's like that for everyone out there adjusting your thinking to like parring in and par is uh, you know as much as you want to say it's irrelevant like there's still like a, a a construct there and something in these guys minds that you know par is par and bogey is bogey and it's hard for the best in the world to take that even though you know maybe that's that's maybe the best player in the world is making several bogeys and nine but there's it's still there in the back of their mind of like a pogey pisses me off when maybe that's a very good score on that hole that's you know I, when i played um the mid-am one of my buddies who's played in a ton of usga events gave me a great piece of advice for you know he's played in he's gotten into match play in a bunch of events uh, you know and uh he told me he's like andy you just got to make a ton of pars in usga events because yeah. the second you're not like making pars that's when you start making doubles and that's the thing with with US Opens especially and in particular the at Wingfoot i mean very few people under par all week like you know there were very few under par rounds and yeah. and it was just one of those par is a great score and it's such a divergence from what we see week in week out on the PGA Tour where if you're making pars you're you're not making cuts but it's still hard, I think, for the best in the world yeah. to to kind of switch their brain off that, even though they know that that the par is is you know a really good score. Um, so let's just set the stage. Let's, okay, you know, heading into this event, so take you back to two thousand six. The top ten in the official world golf rankings heading into this event, Tiger was number one in the world rankings. Phil was yep. two. VJ was three. Ratif Goosen, fourth, Jim Furyk, fifth, Adam Scott, sixth, Ernie L seventh, Sergio Garcia, eighth, David Howell, ninth, 
David Tom's 10th. Pretty and good until we got to the David zone there <laughs> at the end. David Howell had put together quite the year. Um, and he was he had played a good round on the first round, too. He was yeah, in the mix yeah. after one round. So a couple other characters that are, are going to be intertwined in this in this um, in this event that you're going to watch on on Sunday is Ogilvy came in ranked 17th. He started the year 50th in the world rankings. So he was having a breakout year. Um, Monty was 21. He started the year eighth, but important note, two years earlier, he had fallen to his like career low of 81st in the world ranking. So he kind of was, this was his like second run of, of really stellar play as a pro. And uh, Padraig Harrington was 27th in the world. This was before any major championships for him. Yep. Ian Poulter, 67th. And then our guy, Ferry. Kenny. Kenny Ferry. Kenneth Ferry was 102 in the world rankings. I, if you gave me 100 guesses on who, Phil, who Phil's playing partner was in the final group of this final round... <laughs> I would not have gotten it. Like, and I, this isn't like before my time. I remember the, all these guys you just listed off. I do not remember that at all. Kenneth Ferry, F E R R I E, an Englishman, Euro tour player mostly. And, uh, well, we'll get into Kenny a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to get, paint more of the picture of the, of the landscape of golf, here are the last, uh, five majors leading into this. Uh, winners. So, 05, Tiger wins the 05 Masters. Michael Campbell wins the 05 U.S. Open. Tiger wins the 05 Open Championship at St. Andrews. St. Andrews. Phil wins the 05 PGA, which was Baltusrol. Yeah, Balti, I believe. Then Phil wins again the 06 uh, Masters. Mm-hmm. And, and now we're here. So Phil is looking at pos- possibly winning three majors in a row. Yeah. Wins in Baltusrol, what, you know, across the river in New Jersey. Wins, I don't even know if there's a river. Might not be a river. Don't quote me on that one. I think there's a river. <laughs> Geography is not our specialty, as you know by now. You do uh, go over a lot of bridges. Yeah, a lot of bridges. You have there's to go over a, a bridge to get from Wingfoot to, to New Jersey. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, so so he's he's got the Baltimore all the Masters. And now he's in the final group of the final round of the U.S. Open. So a few a few things about what's going into the the early days of this event. It's insanely difficult, and it's you know you had Monty was the only guy under par through one round, and then Stricker was the only guy under par through two rounds, and then going into Sunday, nobody's under par, which is you know historic on you know the recent u.s opens there you know there hadn't been many high scores like this so here's highest highest winning score here's since the massacre yeah here's jeff ogilvy well it was the first year they did the graduated rough so the rough was playable um it was the first year we could miss a fairway by three or four yards and move it somewhat near the green i mean it wasn't like you could get a five iron on it but you could back foot a nine iron or an eight iron and hack it up somewhere around the green and hope you could get it up and down whereas before it was just get this get the sandwich out mm-hmm. and the us open up to that point 
So that was different. So that was kind of easier, but the greens at Wingfoot are brutally hard, really back to front pitched greens with like kind of waves and stuff in them. They're really tricky. Um, and their power, they get ropey when you push them really, really firm and they were kind of difficult to putt on. Um, beaten up, I would have called them on Thursday and Friday afternoon. And when they're fu- really fast, really slopey with a little bit of ropiness about them, it gets really tough. And it's just naturally, it's a tough course. It's like Oakmont. It's one of those just naturally difficult courses that you, there's really no good places to miss it on some holes and the greens play really effectively small. And um, my shot game was just outrageous at that point. So I didn't really, I did it because I got up and down a lot. Mm-hmm. You kind of had to. All right. So that's, that's what was making it so tough. And you definitely yeah. saw that with the with the greens. That's the thing. Rewatching this is like a lot. Of, like you hear so much about the rough at Wingfoot and how you, your tee to green game has to be so good. I mean, we know these greens are kind of uh, they're spectacular, amazing. But just the the lack of putts that went in every putt, and whether they're you know medium length, short, nothing seems to go in in this final round. It's like once you get to the green, which can be a venture, as he talked about with the rough, uh, it feels like now the real challenge has started. Just just getting one to drop, but you well, don't see it. You hardly see it this entire replay. I mean, one guy made a big putt, Monty. <laughs> All-time Almost, Johnny Call. Oh, great Johnny Call, which we'll get to. <laughs> um, a couple other things on the He's course. He's wiping his nose. He's wiping his nose. He wants to cry. We'll get to it. All right. A uh, um, couple other things. So uh, Michael Campbell... Defending U.S. Open said, champ said, the rough is a golfer's nightmare. It's right up there with the deepest and thickest I've ever seen. I think he shot in the 80s the first round. Can I ask you a question architecturally? Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like anything's manufactured here to make par, to make par winning score. I think that could kind of come out at other venues. Am I wrong on that? Like, it doesn't feel like, yeah, maybe the rough is higher than, like, so, you, you know, you'd like. But this is just kind of what Wingfoot is, and it's not tricked up, really. I think they narrow opinion. the fairways a little, but yeah. that's about yeah. all they have to do. Yeah. It's, it, just, it just feels like it's a brute. And that, no. It, it's, it's similar. Like, it's like, it's one of those five courses which you could say, you know, tomorrow you could go host a U.S. Open, especially when it gets firm. Right. If, they, if they don't get rain, that's when it's so tough because then when you miss the fairway, you're hitting into these huge, these really slopey greens with really difficult pins and, you know, these deep bunkers. And you're if you're in the rough, you can't control the golf ball. Yep. You know, yep. That's, that's the, the hard thing. It, it, in the, it's amazing to see some of the shots that these guys hit down the stretch from the rough, like the fill shot on 14. We'll get into that, but it, it's it's amazing what some of these guys did out of the rough, how great, and that's why you're coming down the stretch with a chance to win the U.S. Open, because you're playing so well. Yep. Um, another, uh, so Phil, before the week, the, <laughs> the course is on steroids. I predict someone will play the wrong ball out of that rough before the week is out. <laughs> Which, you know, we had the history with it. The massacre, Wingfoot. 84, I mean, it wasn't as treacherous. Norman lost to uh, Fuzzy in a playoff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then you had Rick Riley. Yeah. I mean, this is... 
Riley and his sort of his similes and metaphors are just kind of all over the place. And just here's what he wrote about the, the conditions. Me, I like pulling the legs off spiders. I eat my sack lunch at the discount surgery center just to hear the whales. I'm the guy yelling up to the man on the ledge, just do it. Real real masochist, Riley. <laughs> um, but nothing ever gave me as much joy as last week's U.S. Open at Waynefoot Country Club, where there was more silent screaming than on mime night at the tattoo parlor. God, it was delicious. Pros worth $50 million were hitting full shots two feet. Studs with jets were flubbing chip shots that would roll back into their own divots. Legends were biting their putters in half. Nothing's been this much fun since the, since the days of the KGB. <laughs> a lot of... A lot of you know, a lot of similes, a lot of metaphors, a lot, a lot of jokes, one-liners. Rick, Rick getting off in that. So, something but. that wasn't covered in the telecast that he wrote about in that article was in the final round. Phil, on th- I think the fifth hole, he pulled out three wood in the rough and and moved it like two yards. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. It was so. So here's the stage that we're kind of setting is like we had a great leaderboard. We've talked about all these guys that were, you know... Well, we haven't talked about all the guys. I'm sorry. We had a great top 10. We had all these guys who won majors, and you're coming to what might be the very toughest, the hardest major at maybe its toughest venue. It's just kind of like a great confluence of factors before we even got to Sunday. Storylines. Let's talk storylines. Obviously, Tiger Woods is the the big storyline coming into the week, and it's because... He is his first event back after a nine-week layoff because this is right when his uh, father died this year. So he hasn't played since his father died. Uh, Early March was the last time he played. And um, it was the first time he missed a cut in, in I think, seven years in a major. I think he talked about, was it this Masters where he talked about trying to play for his dad and he said he would never do that again? His dad kind of chastised him about. His dad was kind of at the end. Am I am I wrong on that? Mm-hmm. I think 06 was the one where, like, he was. You know, obviously he's just trying to. I think he finished T three at the Masters, mm-hmm. and he felt himself pressing too much. And go ahead. Yeah. So his dad had just passed. He's obviously like it's, it's very traumatic traumatic event for Tiger prior 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 to the whole. You know, oh nine to twenty nineteen decade, which was full of traumatic events. The uh, and and Phil is the other big storyline surging for Tiger because you know here's Phil being able to win a third major in a row and yeah. maybe being the, be- the you know considered the best player in the game. And um, you know, Tiger was asked in the, in his presser about Phil, and and he kind of he kind of didn't give Phil his due. <laughs> He said, "Imagine that." He, he kind of just lumped him in with everybody else. Sure, which I think that was you know looking back probably the right thing. <laughs> oh you know, come on! You have runs where Ernie was there for a little bit, then VJ Goose, um, and now Phil is what Tiger said. <laughs> so Phil, run. Phil with a victory, he would have joined Woods, Nick, Jack Nicholas, and Ben Hogan as the fourth player to win three consecutive majors in the modern era. He nearly did it. 
I know it's kind of crazy. His last final, I mean, just yeah, we'll get to the 18th hole, but I mean, yeah, he almost did it. And what would have been eventually, it could have been a grand slam. It's kind of amazing what what was at stake. And he had obviously, this was in the middle, the dead smack middle of his just numerous close calls at, at U.S. Opens. So he had the 99 runner-up at Pinehurst. Yep. He had the 02 runner-up at Bethpage to Tiger. Um, and he had an 04 uh, Retief one, but Phil had the lead on the 71st hole and three-putted for five feet. So that was another runner-up. This was was this his last close call until Marion, oh six. Kind of like this was really the heat of his U.S. Open. I think it uh, was because then he had oh six and uh, or he had oh nine or no. He, I think he had oh nine. He had a runner-up. Another one at Bethpage. I think. Yeah, that's right. Two are at Bethpage. Okay. Um. So Damon Hack. Damon Hack, New York Times. Yeah. Before his Golf Channel fame. Right. He's SI, New York Times. Man of many hats. So this is from Saturday. This is a Saturday or Sunday morning piece. Okay. Saturday night piece. Should Mickelson outlast the field on Sunday, he will have won three consecutive majors and four of the past ten. There may not be a golfer at Wingfoot who's playing uh, with as much confidence as Mickelson. He has spent weeks studying the test that the West Course provides, playing practice rounds, walking, and turning in 10 hours days on the course designed by A.W. Tillinghast. So he'd been just like, I guess like there was a Riley, a snippet from Riley's article that, you know, Wingfoot was going to have to start charging him dues because of how much time he was spending. He was like all in on Wingfoot, spending all the uh, tons of time there getting ready for this event. They mentioned that uh, in the a lot in the video, a couple of references to it in the video that the USGA is releasing, the, the replay. Uh, you hear like Dan Hicks. I think they're like trying to pick out a club to hit at 15, which is where the fairway cuts off. And mm-hmm. it's like nobody's been here more than Bones and Phil. It's like they've just been living here. So they, it's referenced a few times during the replay. The one other thing, it was it was considered kind of like a young, unproven, from what I was reading, like, Everybody was like, oh, we look at the leaderboard and we're like, oh, that leaderboard's stacked. But they were, it was kind of like everybody thought it was like, oh, it's Phil's to lose because there's not that many guys around him. But you look down it and it's like Ogilvy hadn't obviously won. You had Ferry, who was a young up-and-comer. Harrington had no majors at this point. Um, you know, Furyk had one and they had Vijay. Vijay was there too, but... You know, they kind of like poo pooed everybody around them. So in present, you know, it, it may have felt like a, I don't know, a, a young a Phil was kind of the whale. But when you look back at it now, and we're rewatching this video now, it's like, wow, those are a lot of like Hall of Famers or would be Hall of Famers. A fair I mean, Furick turns out to be, you know, he already had a U.S. Open. One of the all-time money winners, which is one of your favorite stats. But and you had Monty. I forgot Fur- about Monty. Furick, Monty, VJ, Phil—like a lot of super talents, but maybe not at the time they weren't as proven. So, so uh, Monty, like we talked about, is like in his late career resurgence. Now yeah. he had had a ton of close calls at at U.S. Opens, also. Yeah, he was a yeah Congo Oakmont. Seconds at Congo and Oakmont, uh, and just the year before he finished second at the old course 
in the the Open Championship to Tiger. And there and, was the Pebble one. Yes. Which we did on uh, when we did the spotlight on Monty, our first one. Yeah, where Jack Nicholas in 90, 92 congratulated him. Told him. He was way out in front of the leaders before the wind picked up. And Nicholas said, you know, congrats on winning the U.S. Open. So, so uh, the one thing that gets lost because, you know, that we didn't get to see any of the other rounds, Monty had just a disastrous start on Saturday. So what he only made he only, he only made one uh so he started bogey bogey double bogey on Saturday. Oh my god. He shot 39 or, or he shot 40 on the front nine which kicked him down the leaderboard. So everybody was like oh he's done. I yeah. think this is why he kind of that he kind of got a little overlooked because of how bad he had but he kind of regrouped played a decent back nine to stay within the mix, but he was in the final group on, on Saturday with Stricker. And again, like you said, this is sort of after like the real peak of his powers. Yes. I mean, there were, he's, he's a little thick, thick boy, Monty at this point. Uh, we'll talk about some of his fashion. I think he was sponsors. always, always thick. I, yeah. But you look at some of the 97 masters <laughs> clips, like there's, it's not as thick. Um, I, I can't remember which year he came. It was when couples. It was when couples won the year '96. When couples won his second players, he beat a Svelte Monty. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the '06. Like he's had. He's not at the absolute peak of his powers. I think they even referenced it during the broadcast. Like he had considered retiring at one point in, in the preceding years because he had, you know, wasn't that kind of dominant order of merit top player. Um, so then you had, you had Ogilvy in the mix. So he had obviously, he, he went on that big rise in the world rankings, largely thanks to winning the WGC match play. And the year before he had won his first PGA tour event, which kind of got him off the schneid. He had this rep of, of not being able to win. Um, and the three majors coming into this week, he had finished T fifth at last year's Open Championship, T six at the PGA, and then T sixteenth at the Masters. So he was getting his. He kind of had been in the mix at some at some majors, which I think was really important. Obviously, when coming down the stretch in this one, so Shipnuck had a great uh, SI gamer, and he talked about Ogilvy, uh, uh, you know, in it. Um, Alan Shipnuck's uh, Sports Illustrated piece. He said, The 29 year old Ogilvy, who has become a fixture on tour leaderboards in the last year and a half, uh, the wiry Australian hits it a ton off the tee with his effortless swing and owns one of the most creative and reliable short games in golf. His physical skills have always been apparent. He was considered a can't miss prospect as far back as 99. When he was uh, when he was the Australian Tour's Rookie of the Year at 22, but two ensuing seasons in the in Europe and on the PGA Tour beginning in 2001, Ogilvy displayed a vexing inability to win. And then he goes on to talk about Ogilvy had the temper problem, and you know he, he even on Saturday he was shown losing his cool a little bit with his <laughs> getting an argument with his caddy. And then, you know, his wife got real mad about them showing the argument because she was saying, like, I mean, they've been together. It's like a marriage. You know, they're going to get in yeah. fights. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but 
definitely the the most up and coming player on the board. Yeah, right? they kept. I mean, but yeah. go ahead. They called him like a, a future star at twenty nine, yeah. which right. is crazy compared to now, right? Totally different mind. Totally different dynamic now, and the leaderboard that it produced is similar. So then you had Furyk, who at the time, 11 PGA Tour wins, and he'd won the 03 U.S. Open, um, seven other top fives in majors. So he was kind of a big name. Did you notice how they just always go went to the grit line? Yeah, grinder, ultimate grinder. <laughs> yeah. just was, like That was like the Furyk cliche. It's like a euphemism, though, for him taking his time, too. <laughs> we'll get to that. Johnny was... On Jim Furyk, the whole when you watch, he's on Furyk about backing off putts, taking his time. It's like, wow, real deliberate, unbelievable. And then, uh, and then we had Harrington. So Harrington was out out in front um, with Furyk, and he was playing a crazy good round. But anyways, he he had two PGA Tour wins, nine Euro Tour wins at this point, and he'd started sniffing around in majors. He had a T five at the ninety seven Open. A T five at the O uh, two thousand U.S. Open, and then three. Uh, t- he had three top tens in majors in O two, including two top fives, and then uh, top f- top ten in the O three U.S. Open. So he had been uh, become a force in majors, top um, ten machine at majors. Yeah. yeah, and then you know after this, he wins three of uh, of the ne- of his next ten major starts. So, kind of on that upward trajectory and then we had your boy kenneth ferry kenneth ferry had no idea no clue who he was he's got this soul patch he's playing you'll see it when you watch soul patch some sort of like choker necklace (laughs) he's got a superman belt which they reference at the end there's a superman logo he seems he's an englishman seems quite combustible because he's playing in this cauldron with phil in new york this guy is like a no-name. He makes no birdies the final 31 holes of the championship. Um, he, he was, you know, he had a, it wasn't, you know, a fleeting Euro Tour career. He won three times on the European Tour, including the, the Smurfit. <laughs> what is that title, sponsor? What, is, what does Smurfit do? The Smurfit European Open in 05. So he kind of like that was a win that put him on, you know, a trajectory to be playing in majors. Although, like, 06 and 07 were really the only years he played major championships. You know, he played, played, he played on the PGA Tour a couple of years later for a year, but bombed out. So he's just like this bit player along for the ride with Phil, almost like the last 17, 18. It's like, it's almost like a Jeff Knox type. Uh, phenomenon like he's just there as like a pace marker you know it's just so, hit it. like his scores don't even matter so he's just this this interesting character who has his own temper problem and is in this cauldron of these new york crowds just kind of there in the background trying not to start breaking clubs over his knee and throwing them at patrons and things like that this englishman did you, i saw that he won he had this surge of success and it yeah. was <clears throat> he lost 50 pounds and that's what oh, really? the surge, yeah. He saw his oh. competitive stamina rise. There we go. Grew a soul patch, started wearing the choker, Superman belt. He was in the final final group, final parent at the Look US good, Open. feel good, play good. <laughs> He's definitely an interesting 
interesting character here, which I did you know that when you started watching that? Watching I like replay? honestly completely forgot about Caddy Ferry. <laughs> Had you heard the name before? Yeah, I remember it. Like I, I don't I, think I did. I like remembered there being a random guy. I don't. Yeah. I could, like you said, I would. If you would have put all the names on on a piece of paper, I probably still wouldn't have picked picked him. Yep. Out. Yep. Um. Like. Okay. You you know Jason Gore had that one random run um in but you US remember Open. that like yeah he, you remember Gore for whatever reason I remember Gore remember it's because he was a he was a the qualifier right 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 um then uh yeah the last thing of note peak Johnny yeah I we referenced it like I don't think. There have probably been a few, I can't think of them right now, but where the broadcaster matched the moment so perfectly. Um, you've got Johnny Miller, who is kind of like the U.S. Open player and, and was, you know, he, that's obviously the, the site of his greatest triumph, greatest round. He, You have this U.S. Open that's particularly brutal, which is where Johnny really excels is when the players are sort of in that cauldron, as I, I mentioned. You've got guys sort of gagging, everywhere it was just this man meeting the moment of a brutal championship of which you know he has become so good at broadcasting and uh and the way it ends no one could commentate on sort of poor decision making poor execution better than johnny and we see that from monty we see that from phil like it was just putting him right over the heart of you know right meatballs right over the middle the the, the, the <laughs> Metaphor we always use. So I, right. I just, I don't know that it could have worked out better, right? I, I try to think of old clips. I don't know. Jim Nance. I thought Hicks roommates. was fantastic too. It, yeah. It's, I mean, Fox right now does like, might be the best broadcaster in golf, but there was like a nostalgia factor here watching the old clips with Bob Murphy and Hicks and Rolf. Rolf yeah. is uh, tra- trailing Monty, following the Monty group. So it, it's cool. It's a cool broadcast, throwback broadcast. So let's get to the action. We're going to do five things that you might have forgotten about, that we forgot about, kind sure. of, too. Um, number one, fashion. 06 fashion. Again, this gets to the point where I this doesn't feel like that long ago to me. Should, but God, should, we, when should you... we run down some of the looks? Should we just, yeah. you know, let's talk. You can't not talk about the all pink Poulter outfit. Ian Poulter, he's wearing pink, pink shirt, pink pants. Sunday Father's Day. Ogilvy talks about this with you, right? Last year, he's got the the visor with like the poof of hair coming out the top. It's black shoes, so it's like a black and pink ensemble. It's not like he didn't keep it pastel. He went black and pink in New uh, York. He's got the big IJP. You remember when he was that? Was, he was the fashion house. You know, it was him and Prada and Gucci and Poulter, and those those are the three big fashion houses, if I'm not mistaken. He's got the big logo on his golf shirt. Uh, it's Quite unbelievable. It's unbelievable fashion. And it was you know, this was during when Poulter his fashion was just ridiculous. He'd do the Great Britain trouser trousers and he'd do the he did the all gold at the Masters. Um yeah, he he would really 
try to go for the it, the the pants are like bell bottoms too. That's another thing with fashion. Like tailoring was very uh, was optional. There was no tailoring on any of these guys. Phil is just wearing a parachute. Did you notice um, Fairy's pants? Yeah, yeah. It's just a totally. I mean, Phil's got the Ford sponsor. Yeah, Monty's got a Yonix. Monty's wearing Yonix gear. He had Lacoste um, though. Monty, Lacoste shirt. Monty Yonix hat. Monty looked like you would expect him to look. Khakis. <laughs> khakis with a. He looked classy. I think I, the things that Fairy's whole look. That what the, were his pants? What did they, his like pants? they flared out? They're like bell bottoms yes. at the bottom, and then they had the little cutout. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> it was. I was like, who made those pants? <laughs> The shirts are so big. Oh, huge. Phil's thick. Phil's a little thick. Yeah. He's a little jiggly, but he just won two majors. Why change anything? I don't know why he's doing this coffee wellness now. To what go about, with what works. What about Furick? <laughs> just unbelievable. <laughs> so this is the button-down Exelon shirt. <laughs> button-down from the neck to the navel all the way. Short sleeve button-down. Short sleeve button-down. Looks like... I mean, he looks like a dope. What can we say? I'm not saying, you know, it's not. It just feels like this was not that long ago, but the fashion just is from a different planet. Makes it seem, you know, like it could have been 50 years ago. Oddly, like I, Harrington's outfit is really weird, but I could see him wearing that exact outfit now. next week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like that shirt. He had the Wilson staff hat. It didn't right? really fit his head. No. <laughs> didn't know what didn't know he'd be associated with driver versus driver one day. Maybe a cortex, a pre pretext of the court, you know, the triton of some sort in the bag. My, um, my my question is of of the guys in the mix, who do you think whose outfit would translate best if they if they got morphed into you know the next time we see golf on TV in that outfit would not stick out like a sore thumb. Oh. Um, I mean, Ogilvy is like okay, but he's still got some weird like cobra design going <laughs> on or puma cobra. I thought Me- it would translate uh, decently well. The pants, did you notice on the back of them? They had like that weird finish on the back leg. Yeah, the shirt leg. has the dots, like the different dots down, the, and the pumas are like the the classic puma stripe thing, you know. Swirl or whatever it is. The fit Phil. was at least decent. Yeah, he had. I think Phil might be the least shocking, <laughs> just because I don't know. I mean, it's baggier than it should be for sure, but it's nothing. There's not a button down like Furick wearing that button down. I think is the Poulter and Pink and Furick and the button down are the two. Monty so, would fit. <laughs> Monty would be fine, except for Yonix. Except for the Yonix branding. All right, number two thing for me was Harrington. I thought Harrington was the guy. So everything that gets lost in this is that is because of the magnitude of Monty and Phil's collapse with this. I think Harrington and Furick kind of skate through where they aren't like they both kind of blew it. Right, Uh, right, right. Uh, But honestly. I didn't. I, I kind of forgot about Monty's role in this until we did our spotlight a couple of weeks back. Mm-hmm. And now you watch it now. We'll get to his finish. 
But you forget about Monty, and you certainly forgot about Harrington finishing what? What did he finish? He finished bogey, bogey, bogey. So he's two under through 15 on this brutal day. He's playing like perfect golf, and he hits it right down the middle of the 16th fairway, and he hits a dead pull into the trees. Hard left, right? Yeah. And then 17, he's in a good spot, like just in the short rough, misses that green. And then 18, he's in the center of the fairway and misses the green there. So again, these are hard hard holes. These last six are really hard, but he kind of got off the tee all right and tagged I mean, on the approaches. Like to put it in perspective, Monty, and, and we'll get to this, he won European Tour shot of the month yeah. because he hit the fairway on 18. <laughs> At 18. That was an incredibly tense moment. Rewatching, even you're just wondering how this is going to go wrong because our broadcast is like this really doesn't fit his shot shape or his eye, and the only things bad things can happen because he's tied for the lead. It's like how, how and he pops it down the middle. Now Jim Furyk, so Jim Furyk finishes second. He's one shot out of the playoff. Oh, brutal! He misses a five footer on on eighteen, but from on, the bunker, right? Get yeah. up and down from the bunker. Eighteen. A, a bad bogey. What can you say? It's like a really bad bogey. Well, yeah, I mean, he had a eighteen's hard. Everybody was making bogey, you know. I, I know, but well, he got guy, up. Only he got up that, from the bunker to make for a nice makeable putt, and he he didn't hit a good putt. No, but Johnny's like, wow, what, what the hell is that? Like <laughs> that was not a hard putt. This was a kind of a precursor, though, because. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a worse putt <laughs> in my life hit by a professional than the one he hit on 15. He's got like a 25-foot uphill birdie putt. It yeah. doesn't even get halfway there. He didn't get it up and over the hill. It was pathetic. It was a, wor- it was a horrendous putt. It was jarring to watch that putt. Hor- horrible, horrible three putt. Really bad. I mean, so, I think like I hit that moment. putt when we played there together last year. I think I hit a putt like that. I mean, the reality was he had a makeable birdie putt that he didn't get halfway to the hole, and he right. three putted there. And that's like to me, like more so than eighteen missing that five footer. That was it was not an easy putt. The three yeah. putt on, and and that's the difference between him being in a playoff. He could, he's almost got that three putt is almost as bad as Monty and Phil's collapse, but the the where the collapse happened kind of right. save Furick from, you know, the ire of like if he had three putted like that on the eighteenth hole, people would not forget that. And there were just no birdies on the last three. I mean there's zero birdie chances, right? I mean they talk about it like I think there were two birdies on the last two holes for three and in the on sunday there was one birdie on 17 and two on 18 okay and i I want to say he's got a birdie putt at 15 and he three putts for bogey basically not not like a gimme birdie i mean it was still like a 30 25 footer but it was up the hill and he i mean it's unbelievable it's like he missed the ball and it just (laughs) sputtered halfway up the hill and he three putts it like would be it the only thing that it could explain it is if he hit it fat. Like, right. did he chunk it? Right. So again, I think to your larger point, we talk about this being reduced to just Phil blowing it. But I mean, Harrington going bogey, bogey, bogey. Uh, Furick three putting from there, and also the five footer would have been in a playoff. Like, there's just a lot of guys that got covered up by Phil's, you know, 
club choice on 18, which is what we feel like this has been reduced to. All right, thing four. Okay, that you forgot. May have forgotten. Kenny Ferry's attitude. All right, so what? I kind of got into this. What do you want to say about his attitude? All right, so he's like two shots out of the lead on Sunday, and he's on the 11th hole, and he's like throwing clubs. He's like (laughs) kicking them, and he's just like... You're like, what What are you doing? You're like two shots out of the lead here. This is not the end of the world. And he's acting like it was like he was so dejected. You knew he wasn't going to win. It's also not like the Bob Hope. You just got to take your punches, right? I mean, you just have to understand that you're going to get popped a bunch in the U.S. Open at Oinfoot. I just can't believe he was in the mix with like the way he was acting on the back nine. Because he didn't even fall, he didn't even finish that far out of it, you know. Well, I think he finished inside the top fifteen and got. He was. Uh, I think he finished seventh or sixth. He got berths into the Masters the next year. That was his one and only Masters he played in. Oh seven, following April. So, uh, it, it is a. It is. There are a few guys that are sort of on the edge of combustibility, and Ferry was certainly one of them in that final group with Phil. Yeah. What else you got? Well, I mean, go he, ahead. Finished, he finished in sixth. <laughs> Unbelievable. They don't really show him, though. And, and he parted the last two holes. Or no, he bogeyed 17. Never I, thought he bo- I thought there was a bogey in there. But, like, here's the thing. He was plus six on the 11th hole. He made bogey on 11 after 11. So he, he's, And that's a birdie hole. But he's got, he's got a par five, like, coming up next. He, he could have legitimately... Played his way back into the mix. Right, right. But, um, okay. All right. Last thing was the Phil crowd. Oh. And just the the whole crowd and the vibe of the crowd. Yeah. I, it's, it's prominent throughout this replay, what you watch. Like, guys always backing off ball, always telling crowds to move in the background. Monty, of course, is a, you know, featured considerably uh, throughout that. Just stoppages in play, telling the crowd to slow down. But you have Phil, and Phil, we'll get to Phil being all over the place. I mean, he's hitting it in the crowd every other shot. And the people are just whipped up. I mean, on the 18th green, I think Johnny calls it like it's a football. This is like a football game with everybody down there. It's a New York crowd, and you hear so much about the New York. I, I, that gets cliche at times, but it's just raucous. So uh, here's Ogilvy on on the crowd. It's certainly in the last nine holes when it became apparent that he might win. It was very pro Phil, but it wasn't anti anybody else. It was mm-hmm. just pro Phil. Um, they love him. I mean, they they just love him so much. And the way he was playing that week, he was driving in the rough, making a crazy par, driving in the rough, making birdie out of the rough. Like he was doing crazy stuff from crazy places, and it was just probably really great fun to watch the way he was doing it but yeah the last he made I think he made birdie on 14 when we were on the 15th tee and it was like really out of the rough and he hit it to four feet or five feet and they just went absolutely ballistic when he made made the putt it was like wow this is these, these people want this guy to win really bad I mean, it was kind of sad for them in, in the end because like they were like it was their man's week right and one thing in this replay is like the NBC microphones pick up so much from the crowd. Did you notice that? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like when, when there's like a moment of stillness, like as guys are getting ready to address the ball or whatever it is, like just you hear so many yahoos like saying stuff individually. These guys, oh, Phil's in tight, like screaming stuff. Like there, there's these mics get a ton from the crowd. It's so. and I mean, Phil at this point, you, we went through like kind of his close calls. He he had two of them happen in New York at Beth Page and at yeah. Shinny. So it's like he. People love is the lovable loser, and Phil kind of was that for so long of his career. Was like the guy that could never get it done, and I feel like that's just such a New York story. And he just won the PGA in Jersey. Yeah. Too. So I mean, it was just kind of he had been the man up there for a while, for a couple of years. Then. So let's let's talk about we're gonna do Ogilvy down the stretch here. Talk uh-huh. about what from Ogilvy's round the the last you know from eleven on. And then yep. uh, we'll go into Monty and Phil. So, okay. what did you what what stood out to you about Ogilvy's closing stretch? Uh, just, I mean, the way he kind of parred in, and all of a sudden was the champion. Like, I, I know that's it's a very reductive thing as well, but it was this Monty Phil show, right? And they talk about maybe even Phil not even paying attention necessarily to Ogilvy and more worried more about Monty. And, you know, Ogilvy wasn't necessarily like clean tee to green either. You know, he was scrambling to get back in play and like make pars or chip in. Like that's kind of what stuck out to me is what we played at the start, the war of attrition type thing, whereas he was taking his, his beatings too, but uh, was able to make par on the card and, and somehow was just the last guy standing, even when it didn't feel like that for maybe an hour before the end. Yeah, I mean, he missed uh, he missed green on on five of the last six holes. Yeah. I mean, he missed the par three, he hit the flagstick out of that bunker. Right. On uh, 13. And then 14. Which, which Phil was the same bunker and made, I think he made bogey, right? He made he, bogey there, yeah. Because they talked about Ogilvy's short game, just, you know, Phil's a renowned short game artist, but Ogilvy, I think, I, Phil was 0 for 4 on Sansei's, or his Ogilvy knocking the flagstick was unbelievable there on 13. What was, uh, you know, obviously he had the he had the chip in on 17, which was crazy, yeah. and, and the great pitch there, but one of the things I noticed, it seemed like he kind of kept getting some bad breaks. Like, he had hit a really good putt on 11, and on um, 14, that didn't go in. Like, both of them, he hit good putts where they talked a little bit about how it hit bounces. You know, it hit, Yeah, and, and yeah. how it, how it kind of hopped. And yep. how it, well, that, that was a really good putt, but it didn't go in. And then he gets in the divot on 18. Like, he didn't, uh, you know, he chipped in, obviously, and he hits the flagstick on, on, the, on the sand shot. But the sand shot was a great sand shot, you know, and yes. the chip was a great chip. So he he didn't really get great breaks coming down the stretch, especially the divot on eighteen. But he he managed, you know, he just he was the guy that didn't do anything stupid in a way. Yeah, I mean, he hit maybe the best drive on eighteen and ended up right in that divot. And Johnny pounced on that. He's like, "That is right in the sand. Is it going to be sandy?" And I mean, he talked about this a bit with you. We were like a foot away from that being like a McKeel type shot, his approach yes. out of that divot, like uh, a foot, 
Honestly, it, it, Johnny said it was a foot. He says five yards, but it was like it, Johnny says two feet. You know, it, it, I'm talking like it was right on line with the flag. And Miller was sending all day talking about, the, oh, the flag's in a funnel. You can really get it close there. I didn't see anyone close in the two hour replay, but he, the the pin allegedly Johnny was gettable. And this one was going right at. Well, Andy was on that left side of the fairway, which made it more accessible right. in there. Like he was in the perfect spot. He just gets in in a, in a sand filled divot, which is even worse than you know one without sand. There's a ton of sand in it. So here here's Ogilvy on kind of coming down the stretch. This is from a pod we recorded last year at the U.S. Open. And I had an, I knew I was I think I was two back with four to play maybe. And uh, I was kind of losing my head a little bit and frustrated because I think I bogeyed 14 and Phil birdied 14 so maybe I was even three back at that point I don't know probably two back um and squirrel my caddy just said look let's no one's going to par the last four holes let's just par the last four holes and who knows no one's going to do that so let's just do that you'll be really close if you do that so I kind of like for whatever reason had this moment of being sensible for once on the golf course and I actually really did just try to par 15 and then when I got to 16 I'm like oh I just make par because it seemed like such a ridiculous proposition kind of forced me to just think about the next shot in front of me like to par the last four holes that's how hard it seemed like a proposition so i didn't even be like running a marathon it's like let's just run the first mile see how we go and i was one of the only times in my life that i I was actually like that like properly one shot at a time or one hole at a time part 15 part 16 made a good up and down from short of the green on 16 drove at the trees on 17 and ended up chipping in for par (laughs) i didn't i mean i my ball never really was on the green except when it was rolled into the hole um and then 18 made a great par in the end. I got hit a great drive, got unlucky. It went into a divot that was kind of like an old sandy divot and hit a decent second shot, I thought. And I was actually posing. I thought I'd actually stiffed it. It was right at it. But And I thought it had landed like a foot short of where it needed to. But it, if you watch on TV, it probably landed five yards short of where it needed to. Um, and it was probably the sand in the divot that made it go shorter than I thought it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Didn't, I felt like I got all ball, but you know, sandy divots is just not quite the same as grass. Got up there and had a filthy little pitch, but the thing that I, the first time I really noticed that I knew the true state of affairs was when I got to that green after I'd missed it short. We got up there, the leaderboard was to the left of the green, which, and it's kind of a dog leg left wing foot, so you can't see the leaderboard till you get to the green. Um, but Monty had made six, not five. We knew Monty had made bogey, we saw him miss a putt on the green, and there was a groan, and we knew he'd missed the green, but I guess he'd three putted, so he'd made double so it wasn't until then I'd had that pitch shot the third shot on 18 that I knew that it was Phil was the only one in front of me and if I got up and down I was second on my own um we figured I was on the same score as Monty because we thought he'd make bogey made double that so that made me a little bit I still thought I was going to get up and down and finish second at this point with a real chance at a playoff you know that kind of went through my head it's like back that was 18 whole playoff days too so like new hotel room like what am i gonna do like all this stuff so So you were thinking about that kind of i mean like it flashed into my head like (laughs) oh wow i could because for the previous three holes i kind of thought i wasn't i didn't think about winning or anything because i thought i wasn't gonna win i just figured phil was gonna because as i said i was at least two back i think and there were no birdies to be had so um had a really good pitch it was an easy pitch probably to hit to 15 feet because it Mm -hmm. kind of goes up again past the hole so but a hard one to hit to four or five or whatever. I hit a really good one, but it came out nicely and spun and did everything it needed to do. 
So that was nice that I didn't... That I gave myself a relatively simple putt out. It was downhill, but it was downhill inside right. You could just get it moving and it was going to go in if you started in the right spot. So, And then, yeah, Phil did what he did. So when I, ma- when I made it, I th- when I was putting it, like I thought it was a really good chance for a playoff because 18's really hard, right? Yeah. And, and you, I think there was no balls that we could see on the fairway. Um, but I didn't... Uh, I never thought that would be to win the tournament outright, ever. No, it never entered my head. I mean, who thought? Who was going to think that he would make double? That pitch shot. I've I've always thought like a really tough pitch that you hit the pitch just right is one of the greatest feelings in golf. Mm-hmm. Like did, right when you hit it, did you know it was just perfect? Oh, it was ridiculous. Like I'd been working on it for my pitching more than anything else for a long time, just for a few different reasons, but. There's that one shot, and I think only really, really great short games actually have ever felt that perfect, like elite golfers have felt that one that just comes out so perfect, you know, just grabs on the face properly and it flights a little bit lower or whatever and it's spinning and it's like, it's a one in five even when you're pitching it well, right? Yeah. With Pilates, it was a little bit easier, but like these days it's just, and you've got to have really good grooves and clean and a good line, everything's got to work, right? And and when you do it, even when you're practicing, you're like, look around. So did anyone say that? How good was that? I mean, it's just a special feeling. And it came out like that. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Talk to, I don't think he had a bad shot. I mean, he didn't hit a bad shot on 18. Oh, he had a great shot. It's like I what mean, he talked the, about with like the, he thought the, the approach was perfect. I know. And then that, and the, that, the pitch. Chip, that pitch shot was so good. I mean, Johnny talked about how he put so much spin on the ball, it really grabbed the grooves and hit it perfectly. And the way he opened it up, he was yeah. like that. He he took in the way Johnny was like, and that I think he alludes to that at that where he's talked about it was a really easy pitch shot to hit to fifteen feet, but inc- incredibly hard to hit to four or five feet. And he opened that face up, and you can tell. I mean, he took he got pretty steep with it, and you know he did not hit the the safe shot there. Yeah, so three great shots, and he's got like a knee knocker, like really still like grinding for the par with three great shots. Yeah, um, and doesn't think he's putting for the win at all. Doesn't maybe that maybe that changes things in his mind. Maybe it makes it less stressful. I don't know, but it never crossed his mind that the putt was to win. It's that situation could go so many ways where you don't know. You know, sure. It's is where you can press and try and do too much, and it, and I think, I mean, he probably if he had stuffed it in there, he probably would have thought he needed to make birdie to win, you know? Right, right. And then he, right. he then you could see like because Mont, uh, we'll get to Monty. I don't want to jump ahead, but Monty's yeah. in a similar situation. It's incredible. I mean, he bogeys fourteen, and they go, "That's an expensive bogey." Yeah, and. A bad bogey, too. Wedge in hand. All he does is par in. We talked about kind of flipping your brain to just be like, these holes are impossible. Just make four pars. Whatever you can do, just make four pars. Don't press. Don't shot by shot, hole by hole. Take it one hole at a time. That's cliche, but he said that's what got him the win. That was the difference, as we talk about, with Harrington collapsing, Monty, Furyk, Phil eventually get in there. It was just like four pars would get it done. And I mean, talk about like the chip. He, he said the chip on 16 was a fantastic chip. Yep. The chip on 17, obviously incredible. Goes, chips goes in. in the hole. And yeah. that's that, those chip shots 
when you're under pressure, I think that's those are the nerviest shots outside of short, you know, five foot putts. Mm-hmm. Pitch shots are where you can look really bad, and to, and to be able to handle that pressure and hit three incredibly great pitch shots right down the stretch, chips and pitches was is really incredible, and I think that gets lost a little bit with what happened with the with Monty and Phil. Yeah. Yep. Sh- should we get to Monty? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, I mean, it's... <laughs> is it worse than Phil? I think so. I think so, too. Because as we said, the t- so he makes the putt on 17. Nobody's made... You watch this, this two-hour video. You do, it's like you don't see a putt the entire time go in. And Monty bombs one in from, what was it, 40 feet, maybe? 50? So- yeah, and the other thing, he he didn't have any three putts the entire tournament until okay. he had two in the last six holes. <laughs> That's right. And, of course, he's just emoting after everything, like throws the head back and looks away in disgust, like with these three putts all of a sudden creeping into his, his game after a fairly clean weekend in that regard. The other thing was he hit that short right shot three times in the in the last nine holes. Oh, yeah! Like uh, unbelievably short and right, he did it three times. He, he he was driving the ball great. He he missed it short right on ten, which we didn't see, but they alluded to after he did it on thirteen. He missed yep. it like like not just short right, like I mean like really short right. Not like you're on the front right corner of the green. Like, no. Like 10 no. yards right, 10 yards short. Yes. Bad, bad, bad miss. Um, and this is his 100th major start, right? He's 0 for I think 99? He 98th. I'm not sure. Okay. I think or, it's... Or U.S. Uh, starts in the U.S. Maybe he was 0 US, for 99. Yeah. U.S.-based starts. He was 0 40-something in majors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. 48 in majors. Uh, he's like, you know, he's had... He's not at the. He's had some tough years before this. It wasn't the run of dominance, and all of a sudden his putter. He's missing putts, three putting, you know, getting a little sketchy from the middle of the fairways, the short right hit, you know, approach shots, and he bombs one in on seventeen out of nowhere after he's missed everything. The uh, the other thing too is so Monty's had this contentious relationship with That's U.S. Great fans. Point. Yep. But at this point, everybody felt so bad for him that they were like they were really behind Monty. Yeah. If, you I can hear if, it like clearly on the microphone a couple times. It's like, come on, Monty, don't worry about it. You'll get it back. <laughs> it's such an odd change. Role reversal. So so uh Monty Monty's like probably if if the picks of the fans, it was Phil one and then Monty two. It's kind of amazing. And that's but, not to say he wasn't at least gesturing for people to stop moving. Yeah. Several times he backs off as ma'am, a ma'am. Just still, still, hold still, please. Like every there's a lot of disruptions. Let's not Monty. skate around like what happened anymore. I'm gonna play the clip. This is this is the, the these are clips from the telecast. Okay. Um, so it, it picks up uh, right at Monty's bomb on seventeen. Hasn't made a putt. Up at seventeen, Montgomery with a lengthy birdie putt. Ball moved pretty hard to the right at the end. How about this one for Colin Montgomery? 
Oh, my goodness. What a birdie. That's the part of the championship right there, Gary. He might be tied for the championship in just a couple of moments with Nicholson's position over at 16, Gary. I think he's thinking about crying right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm serious. It, it, he looks very emotional, Johnny. Taking their toll, we go to 18. Biggest tee shot of his career, Johnny. This par 4, 18, tied for the lead in the U.S. Open. All the disappointments through the years. He's right on the cusp. Mickelson in trouble at 17. A par here might be good enough to get it done. He's got a great chance. If he can make four here, I think it's better than 50-50 right now that he's going to win the open outright. Stop, uh, lady please, man. Just keep your arms still, please. Thank you. Just a little bit of breeze, Johnny. His face here, he's got it teed up on the right-hand side, so evidently going to play a cut. Good. Tell you what, Mark, if he can step up and hit that shot, knowing it doesn't fit his shot shape with a championship on the line, hats off to Monty. In the fairway at 18. And Monty has been waiting nervously out there for this second. Mark, what's he got? Well, he's got 171 yards. He is on the right side of the fairway, and so is the whole location on the right side of the green. And I don't think he knows exactly how he stands right now. He's got the perfect ball flight to knock it close to this right hole location at the high fade. It, and it's a funnel down there. If he can hit a good shot, he's going to get it inside 12 feet. Well, he's been waiting down there, Johnny, but he's been waiting nearly two decades well, for a major championship. So what's another minute or two here? Right? I'm surprised he just switched clubs when you've got you've had 10 minutes to figure it out. Just a little right of the flag. And short, way short. He said, what kind of shot is that? Right when it left his club, he knew it was off. And he's buried. I, I'm really surprised he switched clubs after ha pulling out the other one. All right. Monty from the rough at 18. It's juicy. Pops it up and way long. He might play that, that the way the ball will come back. Maybe. Nope, but it hangs up. Just hit it in the only spots you have no chance. Huh, Mark? Just, just brutal here. Watch this. That was a brutal second shot. Right now, Monty needs another bomb like the one he had at 17, but this for par. Well, he needs to be just a little careful with the pace on this one, too, Johnny, because if you get it racing by the hole. He needs one of those Greg Norman type of par <laughs> savers here at the 72nd hole. Norman with that curling 40-footer. But a lot of historic stuff has happened here, including 1929 when Bobby Jones made his 12-footer. Monty well outside of that here for par.
This one's not going in. This one might not go in and, uh, for a while. Boy, this is sad. It is difficult to watch when you think about all the close calls that Montgomery has had. I mean, it's Mickelson has not won this championship either and has been a runner-up three times, but this man and all that's happened to him to get this close. Just a part of the game. But this important putt right here, who knows what Phil might do he's, since he's hit two fairways. Is to put plus five and take the lead in the clubhouse. Sitting in the middle or a perfect spot in the fairway, looking at a birdie, making six. Yowzer. That'll haunt him for a while. Looks like Colin Montgomery is going to be 0 for 58 in major championships. I mean, he is a modern day Mickelson. If he could have made four here, forget the three, he had a great chance. Colin Montgomery. We'll wonder if there'll ever be another chance. That was a golden opportunity. Four would have won. He didn't need a three. If Johnny's talking about three. Four wins, five. Just two putting. Yeah. I, I guess, like, the, the uh, not amusing is too mean a word, but so we talked about the delay with VJ's over in the chalet, corporate chalets on the right. And it takes Monty's in the middle of the fairway. One shot of the month. European tour shot of the month is drive just finding the fairway. And what's what's like ironic about this is so Monty's sort of blank. You hear him's like, what was that shot? You know, because he's 171, middle of the fairway, and just hits a horrible shot. It makes a six from 171 in the middle of the fairway. Well, VJ makes par from the chalets. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, he made it great so up like, and down, kind of Ogilvy spot. This, this, this kind of sort of what we Monty talks about this weight out, right? While they figure out uh, VJ's drop over in the chalets, ends up in the par while Monty middle of the fairway, just off the rails, real fast. In a way, you know, you think about situations like this and obviously you don't know i think monty thought he needed a par or a birdie and um usually it, it always ends up you need less than you think you do you know yeah. but yeah. these guys can make pars from everywhere it's like the one spot he hit it in the worst spot he could possibly hit it there was no way he was getting that up and down from where he hit it horrible you know? rough short-sighted like a really gnarly green, just yeah, everything. And given bad. that, like I'm sure he could have hit, he could have probably hit that shot to 25 feet if he had played a different direction than at the flag. But he felt like he had to make par, you yeah. Know? And then yes. he hits the putt 10 feet by, and it's just that's like the hard thing about competitive golf and being in the moment is that it just gets off the rails so easily, and then your mind takes you to the, these terrible places. So five shots from 171 in the middle of the fairway. Um, uh, Johnny is just, again, not to put more sugar uh, on Johnny, but just from going the, the transition from 17, like I think he's thinking about crying right now. Yes. I'm serious. 
Could, talks about how reasons. Monty. Because look, Monty's wiping his nose. At one point, he talks about Monty wiping his nose. And then to 18, he goes, this is sad. This is sad. Just as blunt, Johnny. So, I, I Did you remember that as clearly as before? You know, prior to doing the Monty research for the spotlight last month, I didn't because it's you always think of Phil, right? Monty's probably worse. I think it is worse given the place. You know, he did the hard part. Was it one seventy? I mean, granted, these are all very hard holes from T to the bottom of the cup, but like he his great legendary ball striker is one seventy one in the middle of the fairway that needs. Five I, I think the only difference is that Phil knew what he needed to do. Yes. And Monty yeah. had this doubt. And I Good think point. Monty made six because he thought he needed four. Good point. So Good that's point. The, the my only contention with the Monty was worse is that he he didn't he didn't know what he needed. And because of that, I think he thought he needed four, obviously. Was, yeah. I would say watch this for the Monty reactions alone. Oh, God. When he makes the putt, he's like incredulous. Like, doesn't really smile. He just like shakes his head. Like, oh, oh, me. Like, looks the other way down the fairway. Like, a different kind of incredulity as opposed to the the missed, uh, the, the three putts on the you previous ha- You have to think he kind of, I think he probably got, got let his mind get ahead of himself. Yes. But he hit the drive. That's why I think, think he was start- hitting in the fair, standing in that fairway, and he, all the time, just really got him. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an awful, awful. He probably moment. thought he was going to win. I mean, that's kind of those are kind of the moments where you think like it's my time now. This crazy putt from whatever it was, forty feet, slams in the side door. And then you think you got to win. You're going to win. And you, and you he hits the drive. Let's so. let's go to All Phil. Right. And yeah. he made he made the birdie on 14. He's he's got this this championship in his hand. And I think well let's just go straight to Johnny. But that. it's smoke and mirrors. Let's be clear now. In his hand based on smoke and mirrors. He had hit two fairways the entire day. Johnny was pissed. Keeps hitting driver. He's not hitting like we're talking you know, I think 16 is a fade. He pulls it. 17, he... Didn't he go miles left on 17? I think he was I, just into the thick rough on 17. Okay. Well, it's both directions. 16's a fade, like, like for him, a fade. Uh, like 18. And he pulls it way right. He's he's missing him left. He's not hitting a single fairway. Ogilvy alluded to that earlier in the clip we played. It's just... And Miller at different times is like, you know, I thought the U.S. Open was precision golf, but I guess I'm just old fashioned. I don't understand this. And in the whole telecast, he's like, he's dodging bullets. I don't know why he's hitting driver. Just hit the forward. Hit the forward. forward. Hicks calls it a Houdini act at one point. Like, it's just another reason why you think it's got to be Phil's time. Because the way he was hitting off the tee just felt like there should be no. He had a two shot lead at one point. So it, it, this is him on on 18. So we're going to go straight to the scene of the crime here. Okay. One last time to maybe take the forward. All right, tee shot for Mickelson. This better be a forward. Doesn't like this, this one. going way left. Way way left. Oh, what a bounce out into the rough to the right. 
Federal leaving much. Off of the hospitality tent. I'll tell you what, right now Ben Hogan is officially rolled over in his grave. Well, Johnny, I do believe he knows what score Colin Montgomery made here at the last. The scoreboard to the left of the 17th green, the score went up there, and the fans around the 18th team started to cheer. So and I think he knows five wins. And he's, he's got a bare lie. He's gone from the garbage can on 17 to the corporate 10 on 18. I cannot believe he didn't hit forward there. Well, joined us, Sapar wins the U.S. Open for Phil Mickelson, 7 o'clock here Eastern Time, Wingfoot Golf Club, 5th U.S. Open being staged here. Jeff Ogilvy of Australia has just posted plus 5 in the clubhouse, the leader there, but Mickelson's 4 could win it here. Tough spot from 210. Oh, no, it's caught an elm tree solid. And I believe it's gone backwards, and he still has got to be in a very bad situation, blocked out from the green. Wow, you see the shock on his face right now. He knows he's hit a horrendous shot. Just look at this sullen look right there. It's like ashen look. Like he aged five years on that shot. So where is he going to hit this, Roger? Right over everything? He's got an eight and he's going to try to hoist it up across these trees in front of him. He's going to have to get it up quickly. Well, he's taking a chance to lose that open out right here if he doesn't pull us off. He doesn't make it through the trees. You know, he's going to lose the open. Remember, a bogey gets him in a playoff. He could play for the playoff, you know. You don't have to go for the gusto here. This the third. He's playing it forward. Get up. Well, he's hit it very high, but way left. He's going to try to get it up and in from, well, it's got the oh, front left bunker. A fried egg in there. It is just implanted in that bunker, and Ogilvy has been watching all of it. This is a nightmare right here. Absolutely, the, you couldn't have worse decisions than he's had, I think, on this hole. I don't care who you are. I know you all love Phil. But come on, you just got to make par on this hole. You could hit a two iron, three iron off the tee, another long iron onto the green, two putt, and say, see you later. You don't have to run down the last stretch on a white stallion. You know, you can limp in there and say thanks for the trophy. Well, it is going to be some up and down that's going to be need to be mated. When he to, sees this lie, he's. To he get is, into plus five, I mean, it is just an awful lie. Just crazy shot selection. Just, I'm sure Jack Nicholas is there in Florida, and he's thinking, "Man, Phil." You mentioned Ogilvy has been watching. He saw it. I mean, he's got a great chance to win the Open. He had no idea he was going to win the Open. So that cuts it there, and uh, he hits the fried egg over the green, chips it on, makes makes about a 10-footer for double. I mean, Johnny's, first of all, Johnny loves to talk about the greats, what they must be thinking. Hogan's rolling over in his grave. Nicholas is down in Florida, just aghast. Um, I, I forgot he hit it in the trash can on 17, too. Yeah. 
And you got a good break a, there. Fried egg lie on 16. Trash can on 17. 16 brutal lie up against the lip. Fried egg. Buried. Then, then 18, he's, uh, he's off the off, hospitality tent, off an elm tree. He got a good break off the drive, considering yes. how far. I mean, it bounced off the hospitality tent to, you know, matted down like walkway area of the and that road. was the Not same like, thing that happened on 17 17 he got, like a drop drop into this matted down area he wasn't even in the thick rough drop out of the trash can yeah which you wonder on 18 if he'd been in the thick rough does he just take his medicine and like pop it out in the fairway as opposed to like that's what we talk about the driver the the driver club selection on the tee gets a lot of the the blame but it was the the hero attempt recovery that hits the elm tree and ends up going only 25 yards forward and that was really like the complete disaster also par- parlaying off that all week long he's been doing it this way scrambling around it's like right you got everything going on and around the greens just give yourself a chance to make par i will say though like everyone's banging on him at one point roger Malpe's like you know, I don't know, guys. I just sometimes I watch Phil play, and I I don't know. I can't. By the way, like this is the guy who won the last two majors, yes. right? It's not like a guy that's been kicking away a bunch of events. Like he's the not the best player in the world. He's one of the two or three because he's going for his third straight major. It's like it's hard to question his his style and decision making when he won the two last last two majors. And listening to this, and I'm not sure if this is this has to be one of the big origins, but remember when there was this faction of Johnny Hate? Yeah. And I ha- I can't not believe that this was a big driver of that. Well, there's always been that. And, well, no, that's not true. I mean, yeah, it got it got more acute. And I think there. it's you know he makes that statement of like you know I know you love Phil, but <laughs> yeah. like you know like he knows that like people are gonna not be happy about what he's saying, but it's just, you know, you're watching it. It's just like watching a car crash in slow motion. Right. I, I just, I, the, the, what was he trying to do on the recovery shot? I mean, hit some crazy slice, some crazy on the, cut. on the first one. Yeah. The tree. He was yes. trying to hit it over it and he caught it. Fat. Oh, he was trying to hit it over it. Okay. And then okay. it hit the tree. Okay. Hit 25 yards. Moved. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes up and over into, into the, the bunker. Bu- into, into the Friday. And I think that's where that's where he really that's the shot that you question the most, in my opinion, because at that point you're like just, everything's growing like just get the ball into a spot where you can make five. Scratch out of five. Because yeah. you know, that and it's easy to say from your chair and watching what you know happened, but to me, like I get going for the green on the second shot. You know, he knew Ogilvy made four. He knew he needed to make a par to win. You know, and mm-hmm. understand it probably was an easier shot than the second shot that he pulled off. Right? It, it seems like it. He he took no time. By the way, Mike Davis was down there clearing out the crowd. Now the CEO, uh, he's like cleaning clearing out the crowd next to the chalet. He took no time. Phil goes back to it and just boom, like he was pretty confident it was gonna work and that'd be be executed, and that that's the one twenty five yards. And and Phil afterwards just despondent. Right, sure, sure. Just, just 
inconsolable. You know, they're reported this is the most broken up he's ever been over anything. You know, he now claims Marion was the one that hurts the most or was the best opportunity, but I I think that's just trying to get himself to cope over really off the hook. Yeah, the thing was he he. He hit it so poorly off the tees, hitting it into trash cans, hitting it in all over the yard both ways, left and right. And you're there on the 72nd hole, and all you got to do is just like bunt it and up the way, up the fairway into the hole. Get down, you know. That, that's the crazy thing is that he was he was all over the place making pars, and that's what's kind of puzzling about going for the heroic shot was like, if you just put it in front of the green where Ogilvy was, he probably was going to get up and down. Did this feel like a run of like horrible breaks all across the board? Whether it was I don't the fried think he eggs? got bad breaks though. He got, he got good breaks. He hit off the hospitality tent. I that's had a true. chance. He had, he got hit in the trash can, got a free drop into trampled down rough. You know, he, you make your own breaks. I, I yeah, I, I was talking more generally about the whole field, like Ogilvy hitting, finding the divot. So, Phil, multi, the the lie in the bunker on sixteen was like maybe worse than whatever. I mean, eighteen is your very traditional dictionary definition of a Friday. I think you look at the three of them. Ogilvy got a good break on the chip in. Let's just yeah. say that's his good break. Monty got a great break on the bomb. Yeah. Phil yeah. got great breaks on the trash can and the and <laughs> the hospitality tent. But then they both also got tough breaks, you know? Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's a, it's uh, it's just so much more that it's one of the most famous US Opens of all time, but it's kind of been reduced to the scene on the 18th tee and Johnny's call. What's he Ben Hogan's rolling over in his grave? What's he doing? I hope this is a forward. Um Let's talk about kind of lasting, you know, sure. legacy and sure. So, so Monty never gets another chance. Yep, that I was. Mean, I mean, it, this was kind of a unexpected chance. Granted, he still had the skills and the talent, but it wasn't his peak anymore. Oh six, a little late. He said, "Real afterward, he said, really, you wonder why you put yourself through this.'" <laughs> Watching him walk to the clubhouse from the 18th green was really, it's hard to watch. There's all these security guards around him. He just like wants to run away and hide. He said, this is the first time that I've really messed up. Other chances I've had, other players have done very well. That's okay. You're entitled to a couple mess ups along the way. Amazing. Lawrence Donegan said he deserved a win. Like in terms of purely golfing, he everybody else he golfed everybody else off the course, and it's kind of true. Like he had that really good look on fifteen for birdie too. Remember I mean, Ogilvy, that? Oh, yeah, Ogilvy played well though. I mean, he made par all the way in the last four. I, yeah, but Monty was hitting fairways. He made the bird. He made birdie on seventeen. He could have easily birdied fifteen. That birdie made on 17 was crazy. Yeah, he wanted to cry. From through the trees onto the green. Um, obviously, uh, there's another, we covered this in our, our Monty um, spotlight, 
But yep. he he blamed he, he's not blaming VJ, but he blames VJ. <laughs> says says that if somebody had been in play, his playing partner had been in play, he wouldn't have had had the problem, and he should never have switched clubs. Which you know Johnny hit perfectly, um, you know, but. Yeah, he did. He does. He pulls. He takes a new club right at the end there. Yeah. After sitting for ten minutes. But so it's sad. It's sad that that's his last great chance. Yeah. And he'll always be. You know, I think he has to be the, if not one of the, the very shortest list you could make greatest player never to win a major. Yeah, absolutely. So Phil. So- we're still U.S. Openless. Yeah, and it's 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 part of the career highlight film, right? Or low light. I yeah, like I, highlights. I don't know if that's the term, but like that is going to be in the first paragraph, right? We're going to talk about how he got three of four, and then when you talk about the one he didn't get, this is the first one you're going to bring up of his U.S. Open near misses. And it's just as part of you know, another cliche, why we love Phil and all like some of his appeal is just this circus golf from all over the place. But in the, the, the sort of the, the empathy you might have for the, these kind of gut punches. You know, I made the comparison of uh, last year with Jordan Spieth and the duct tape. Yeah. Duct tape holding on like the wings. As yes, you fly. yes. Yes. Like, that's, yes. That's the way kind of Phil was also. Where you just never knew what what you were going to get. What are the majors? Speaking of speed, what are the majors that you identify more with, like the loser or how it was lost, than say the winner? Because I would say this is absolutely one of them. Like the 06 U.S. Open at Wainfoot is known for Phil at the 18th at the 18th hole. Van, I mean, I guess Stuart Sink. When you talk about speed, though, right? Will it speed? Yeah. Speed and 16 Masters is one. I feel like the Stuart Sink Tom Watson one. Sure, sure. Falls into that bucket. Nobody's talking about that as the Sink Open Championship. Vandeveld. That was Laurie. Yeah, Paul Laurie's Carnoustie win. Um, who else I, would be in there? I, I, probably a bunch from DiVincenzo, certainly signing the wrong scorecard. That's the master. Like, there's instances where the loser or the collapse or the method of collapse become the signifier of a certain major. And this is absolutely up there in the modern, modern times for sure. Yeah. And, and, and it shouldn't just be Phil. It right. That's as we talked about, I tried to illuminate that. I mean, all of them, including <laughs> right. Furyk and Harrington, like the Furyk should not be left. Like he shouldn't be getting the tree. He like, nobody talks about him that U.S. Open, but to me, the, the putting down the stretch was really bad. Yeah, yeah. All right, what else? Any other lasting legacy moments? I mean, what does it mean for this year? Does it uh, say we get this twenty twenty Wingfoot at, at September? I, I mean, is there a chance we get something like this where plus five is the is your winner, or because this was the highest winning score to U.S. Open since the massacre Wingfoot? I don't think you're going to get that. I think you'll get something around par, but I yeah. think that just the technology is so much and the, you know, the technology and the depth of players. I was thinking about it is like the, the length at which these guys hit it now too, you know? Right. Right. But right. The, 
it's so hard out there if you don't hit a good shot. And I think the USGA is a little different philosophy now. At least they claim to. I, I don't know that they're trying to kind of... They'll let the course beat them up and not have to add anymore. The, the Wingfoot's a place where you really don't have to kind of add your own elements to yeah. that. Uh, anything else? So you want to read Rick Riley? Any, any, any Riley tidbits? I see a couple of notes. Um, he made talking about the the discount surgery center as we talked about earlier you read it all right here we go riley on phil's collapse he collapsed like a cardboard wind tunnel he looked as if somebody had replaced all his blood with metamucil he kept repeating i can't believe i just did that golf is cruel it will hold you upside down and shake you by your heels until your dignity falls out Nicholson had dreamed of winning an Open since he was a boy, practiced thousands of hours for it, and visited Wingfoot so many times that he merely membership dues, as you mentioned. And he came to the big moment and played like a diseased yak. Unreal. And just on the, this course, he goes, this wasn't an Open. It was an open wound. Nobody won it. The USGA finally just gave up and handed the trophy to the only guy who wasn't curled up in a ball. Somebody named Jeff Ogilvy. Not doing Ogilvy many favors there. He looks shocked, like the one millionth customer at the drugstore who suddenly gets handed the keys to a Cadillac. The Schmo shot five over par. Schmo! Five over doesn't win the Walla Walla City Championship. Fact is, five over doesn't even make the cut on the tour. Again, gets to some of the course setup issues we were just discussing. Challenges, not issues. I don't think issues. Yeah, issues is too strong. I mean, just what what the challenge it presents. I and and that's the thing. I think that uh, you know Ogilvy even said afterwards, like I feel like I I just got you know a little bit of chair. I was a beneficiary of a little bit of charity. But at the end of the day, he was the only one that did wasn't an idiot down the stretch. And sometimes that's what you got to do. And I yeah. and it's it's hard for these guys that win majors. I think that. You know, he won the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. And it's never going to be about him winning it, even though he won it. Yep. And the thing is, if, if, if Mickelson bogeys and they go to a playoff and Ogilvy wins it the next day, it's not about Mickelson blowing it. Right. You know? And that's the tough thing. And, and, and keep in mind, you know, Ogilvy won two match plays. You know, I mean, like one, of the, the, what, one of the best career earnings of like 40 million or something. Right. I mean, it's not like a flash in the pan, not a Todd Hamilton. Yeah. Maybe to 10, a, 10 tour wins in a, in a major. Yeah. So good. Great player. Yeah. And, and a lot of, he was in the hunt in a lot of majors and he was in the hunt at the Tory U S open that woods won. He was in the, uh, really in the thick of it at the 11, um, masters that schwartzel won yep yep and uh it's so this is not a guy that just like it you know he's a top five player for a couple years one of the younger guys on this board you know these are all all guys like i don't know who's around still phil's around furick's kind of half and half stricker's most stricker who's also featured in this two-hour video is you know, a Champions Tour player. VJ's a Champions Tour player. Like, a lot of these guys, of course, it was 14 years ago, but you're seeing a lot less early 20s players, mid-20s players. Ogilvy was considered up-and-comer. Like you said, he's 29. It's just a different sort of... Maybe it was the... Maybe that's the 
kind of characteristic of a U.S. Open, but we saw Jordan Spieth win a U.S. Open a few years ago at tw- early 20s. Like, it's just a lot of these late, kind of early 30s, mid 30s players that would have great careers. So um, guys that have like full status still on PGA Tour that were in this field. Yeah. All right. You've got, I guess, Luke Donald's got moneyless career number one status. He's sure. T12. Uh, yep. Poulter T twelfth, um, Casey fifteenth, Paul Casey, Adam yep. Scott twenty first, then it, Charles Howell the third thirty seventh, Duffner was in the field forty. Wow, Duffner. Yeah, I mean, then you you get JB the pace cars forty eighth, McDowell forty eighth, Schwartzel forty eighth. I mean, not. Nobody else, really. Yeah. Well, I had a blast. I enjoyed watching it. It was a good, like, it's an hour 51 minutes, I think, is the video. I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I was watching it more keenly for this and taking notes. But just, I mean, Johnny carries you through just the the fashion changes. It's it's a shotgun start special, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, and you know we we provided a uh, a podcast that's almost as long. So now you're going to get into that four hour. <laughs> there you go. All right. Hope you enjoyed this change of pace. Maybe we'll do a few more of these. We'll see. Um, enjoy your Wednesdays, and we'll be back with another episode Friday. Oh, the thing that blew me away the most is that. Even to this day, I get new people telling me that they were there that Sunday or they, they marshaled the fourth hole the Thursday that week or like how many people are like actually involved and watch and are interested in the US Open is more than any other tournament that I've ever seen or heard about. I mean, everybody's seen this is such a tradition in the US to watch the US Open on Sunday. Father's Day is just what people do, right? And they might not watch golf all year, but that's their day to watch golf. And to this day, I meet people who talk about that Sunday for whatever reason. It was kind of a remember one because of what Phil did and stuff too. So it kind of sticks out in people's memories a little bit too, I think. Just how many people watch it is just amazing to me.